Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. In an average, an average American in a work week spends, guess how much of their time on social media, work time? Anybody want to guess? More. Not quite as many. Seven and a half hours. So if you work a 40-hour work week, basically one day every week is devoted to social media, which means all of America is paying you to waste time. Have you seen this? Like one in five days roughly gets wasted on social media. Now I know you guys are really, really good at this and you don't waste time on social media, but it really makes me wonder, does anyone anywhere get anything done ever? Have you ever thought about like, do we get anything done at all? And maybe more importantly, and for what I want to talk about today is, does following Jesus inform how we use our time? If Americans are wasting a ridiculous amount of time, does it make any difference in our lives because we follow Jesus? We began this series last week called Entrusted, and it's a three-week series. It's real short. And the whole point that I was intending to make last week, if you didn't miss the, the, the message, it's, you can get it on the YouTubes, on the podcast, all the places. You can, get, you can go back and listen to it. But the point I was trying to make last week is we tend to think of ourselves, especially as Americans, as owners. We, we are people who try to get as much as we can get, right? This, get our slice of the pie. But the, the picture that Jesus always paints of people who follow him is as managers, that we're not owners of anything, that we manage everything that God entrusts to us, that we manage God's stuff. And if you remember that, that was last week. One of the things that I think we've not really become overly clear on is how wide the scope of that is. Like how many things God entrusts to you. Like if you're a parent, God has entrusted kids to you. Do you know that? They're not yours. You don't get to do with them whatever you want. God actually has a purpose for those kids. If you have a job, that job is not yours. God has entrusted you with this job. And he intends for it to be used a certain way. One of the things that I have noticed over and over and over is that most people have never bothered to think about the fact that God entrusts you with time. That time is not yours. That you don't own it. That you're a manager of God's time. And God intends you to manage his time the way that he planned out and, and, and appointed it. And so what I want to talk about today is that God's people redeem God's time. God's people redeem God's time. I'm calling this message today, It's About Time. So let's pray, and then we're going to look uh, at, Ephesians, at the book of Ephesians, okay? So would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at Ephesians 5. So let's pray. Lord, I do welcome you into this space, and God, I'm so grateful for all of the baptisms. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one who was baptized today, God, that this would be a defining moment for them in their lives as they continue to pursue you. God, I pray that you would visit us in this space. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us as we open your word and as we look at it, what it is that you say to us about time. God, would you give me grace? Would you enable me to speak as I should? 
And Lord, would you put transformative power on what I'm going to say? Come and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at three verses. But because I'm very intentional about trying to teach every one of us to read the Bible responsibly, we don't want to just yank three verses out like this is a fortune cookie and these are my three verses, right? You know, most of the way, a lot of times we read the Bible, we just sort of like fortune cookie. It's like, well, this is the verse I like. It doesn't matter what it says around it. But we're going to look at three verses in the, the book of Ephesians. But in order to understand what we're going to read, there's some context. The book of Ephesians is a letter written from Paul while he's in prison to this church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus is largely made up of non-Jewish people. Some of you will be surprised. The original church people, the original Christians, were Jewish. So the, the, the Ephesian church is a largely Gentile church. And they were called out of pagan practices, out of worshiping pagan gods. And Paul is writing them a letter to correct some ways of being, some, to, to uh, tell them how to live as followers of Jesus. But as any good pastor does, he doesn't just tell them how to live. Some of you have, have been victim of bad pastoring where they just tell you how to live. Good pastoring says, no, 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 this is who you are. So Paul, in the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, he just says, this is who you are. You all are followers of Jesus, and this is who you are. And then in chapter 4, he turns, and what he says is, because of who you are, this is how you live. Does that make sense? Simon Sinek got really famous for saying, start with why. You guys heard of this book? It's about who, like why you do the things you do inform how and what you do. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He says, in the first three chapters, he says, this is who you are. And then in uh, 4.1, he says, this is where he turns. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he says, you are followers of Jesus. This is what that means. And so because of this, I want you to live a life worthy of the things that I just told you that you are. And so then he begins to outline what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus. And he goes on in some detail. He talks about the church and the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and how their gifts to the body to equip the, the saints for the work of ministry. But then in chapter 5, we get to where, uh, what we're going to look at. Chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 15. So if you have a Bible, you can look there. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. Remember, this is right in the middle of Paul saying, this is how you live as followers of Jesus. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So verse 15, Paul says, don't be unwise, literally, don't be a fool, but be wise. And then in 16, he says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, this is a space where I think the King James is much better. I think it gets much closer to what's intended. In the King James, it says this. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. In this verse, Paul uses two different words in rapid succession for the word time. 
we would just say, well, the time. They have at least three different words that represent time. And so Paul uses this word in the first half where he says, redeeming the time, he uses this word kairos. Have you heard this word before? Kairos. It's not the word that you would use. It's like a succession of minutes. Kairos is not like, you know, from 10 a.m. to 12 a.m. or p.m. I guess that's how it turns, right? 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. It's not a succession of minutes. Kairos is a, an appointed time. The, the word for, for a succession of minutes is like chronos. We would use that for like chronological. It's in a, in a sequence. Kairos is an appointed time. It's the right time. It's a specific time, a set time. It's a specific opportunity. Let me give you some examples. Matthew 8. Verse 29, Jesus comes upon a couple of demon-possessed men, and he says this, or the demons say this to Jesus. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the kairos, the appointed time? That there's a time that they will be cast out. And so they're like, are you going to torture us before that time? Luke 12, Jesus says this. He's confronting a crowd of Pharisees and teachers of the law, and he says, hypocrites, You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this kairos, this present time? So the word kairos is used to designate a specific designated moment. And so Paul says that followers of Jesus are to be wise by redeeming specific moments. But then the second half of that verse, Paul says this, he uses a different word. He says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Where he says the days, Paul uses this word himera, which is the word similar to chronos, but it designates like days, like generic days. And so he says, you as followers of Jesus are redeeming specific moments out of the generic days that are evil. Do you see that? Followers of Jesus redeem moments in time. So this is what Paul is saying. Verses 15 and 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, redeeming moments in time because time in general is marked by evil. Do you catch what Paul is saying here? As a follower of Jesus, you redeem moments in time out of the body of time that is evil. You are rescuing, you are redeeming, you are buying back moments. And some of you will say, well, what does it mean to redeem moments? A helpful picture here is to think of Jesus. How many of you have heard this phrase that Jesus is the redeemer? Have you heard this phrase? How many of you know what it means? Less of you. Okay, cool. There's this picture in the Old Testament of what's called a kinsman redeemer. And this is a person, a male, who is, has responsibility to, to help his family members out of trouble, to rescue from trouble. And so this picture of a kinsman redeemer is to like rescue their family members out of trouble. And so Jesus comes along as our redeemer and he takes us. We are God's people who have been bound into slavery to sin and darkness. And Jesus rescues us from slavery to sin and darkness by his actions that we might be in relationship with our true father. He's our redeemer. He rescues us from darkness. And so what Paul says is, in the same way, you who are followers of Jesus, you rescue moments 
from the days that are evil. You rescue moments. Do you see that? That your job as a follower of Jesus is to rescue moments from the body of time that's evil. We are to redeem time. You see, the time God entrusts us with is not ours. How many of you think about it that way? You're like, I have all the time in the world. This is what I'm going to do with my free time. Don't we use that? We have this idea that somehow time is ours to own and possess and bend and do with what we want. But as followers of Jesus, time is not ours. It's God's. And he has invited us into this redemption process that we redeem moments of time from the whole body of time. And the fact of the matter is, God has specific moments for each of you in mind that you would redeem. Incidentally, Paul already said this back in Ephesians 2.10. Some of you know this verse. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That there are lots of moments that God intends for you to redeem. We are managers of God's time. How many of you live your life that way? That the, the moments that you have are not yours. They actually are God's. And the way he desires us to use the time we've been entrusted with is for redemptive purposes. We redeem time. So how do we do that? The way you redeem time is you take any moment that could have been used for evil and you make Jesus king in that moment. Any moment. So if we look just, just as a just purely Pauline example, right after this verse, Paul says, you could get drunk. That's one use of time. But instead of doing that, be filled with the Spirit. That's what he says right after this set of verses. He says, You're gonna you, you have the option to live into the flow of the evil of time, but rescue those moments and be filled with the Spirit. I mean, that's just right out of the book. That's the next verse. I'm not making any of that up. It's not to say that I'm going to make any of the rest of it up either, but you guys breathing still? Four of you. We'll be okay. It'll be okay. So there's some obvious ways. I mean, other than this particular, obvious ways to redeem time. When you share Jesus with people who don't yet know him, it's an opportunity to redeem time. When instead of scrolling Facebook for hour and hour and hour and hour and hour, do you guys have really strong thumbs? Facebook, right? Instead of doing that, you spend time reading the word of God. You're redeeming time. You could have used that time in the flow of evil. Instead, you, <laughs> Facebook has evil. It's good, isn't it? All right. Anyway, you, <laughs> you could have used that time in the flow of evil, but you choose instead to redeem the time. When instead of being critical and cynical and critiquing everything everybody does, you choose to be thankful, it's redeeming time. This is like simple stuff. When you choose, instead of like fudging the numbers and just sort of making it work, you know. How many of you know the reference to a Kalevin? You guys know that reference? Like it's from the office anyway. You just got, all got outed as not office lovers. A Kalevin makes anything plus a Kalevin in your home by seven. Anyway, it's the number that you add to make everything match. Um, 
when instead of fudging the numbers, you say, I'm going to be honest. You're redeeming the time. Does this make sense? But then there's less obvious ways to redeem the time. If you are a parent and you have kids and you choose instead to attend to your kids instead of losing yourself on your phone, it's redeeming the time. If you're married and you choose to invest time in your spouse rather than wasting it somewhere else, it's redeeming the time. It's all about redeeming the time. These are less obvious ways. What I've discovered is that redeeming time is not something that happens passively. Do you know this? It's it's something that doesn't happen passively. If you just allow time to free flow in your life, what Paul says is the days are evil, you just get swept up into the evil. You don't redeem time accidentally or happen to redeem time on the way. It actually requires some intentionality. It's the same with money, isn't it, though? Let me think about it for just a minute. Like, how many of you have ever achieved your financial goals, all the things that God has asked you to do with your finances, without a budget? Oh, we're just on the way. We're going to save so much money. I'm going to buy this car, and I'm going to get to that house, right? How many of you have ever achieved financial goals without some intentional plan, right? It doesn't work. Same is true with time. You can't redeem time happenstance, just sort of on the way without any intentionality. So managing God's time is an active process. And in verse 17, Paul says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So when we think about managing God's time, we have to think about what God intends. And I told you last week, one of the most important things you'll ever learn is how to hear the voice of God. Like if God has an intent with his stuff, if God has an intent with his resources, then the most important thing we can do is learn to hear what he wants us to do with those resources. This makes sense, right? Like if I give my kids a stack of money and say, I want you to manage this well, it's really important that they hear what I say they should do with it, right? It's common sense, right? It's simple. So we have to learn to hear what God has to say about his stuff. I had a conversation with someone this week, and they asked me, you know, do you actually ask God about every single decision? Do you actually ask God after last week? Do you actually, like, everything you're going to do, do you stop and go, dear God, what should I do here? And initially I answered the question. I was like, well, yeah. And then I, I, the more I thought about it, I was like, it's more complex than yes or no. It's more complex than yes or no. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to sort of walk you through sort of the three parts that frame how I think about managing God's time. You may have better ways to manage God's time, but in the event that you showed up here today and you're like, I'm not really sure how to do this, I'm going to offer you my solution, Okay. The first thing I do, which governs every other part, is what is God saying right now? What is God saying right now? The whole process for me is dependent entirely upon a conversational relationship with God. Every part of it is dependent on I'm having an ongoing conversation with God and he is allowed to say things to me about what I want to do. And so at any given moment, I don't like stop and pray, God, I'm about to have lunch. 
there's meatballs in the fridge. He's thinking about eating those meatballs. But Jim says he wants to go to lunch. What should I do? It'd be great if you'd answer in the next three minutes. I don't do that. Because it's an ongoing conversational relationship, most of the time, as I'm considering what I'm going to do, God is already talking to me about it. It's already an ongoing conversation. If you're married, you probably have something happen like this. This happens at my house all the time, right? I'll be hacking away on the computer, typing, and Jerry will come down the stairs, and as she's walking by, she'll go, and about the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, did you know we were going to this thing? Huh? Do you have that? Is that, that happening at your house? No? I'm like right in the middle of whatever I'm doing. And the conversation just continues, doesn't it? Have you had this? Like we were having a conversation two hours ago about what we were going to do, you know, on the 4th of July weekend. And like two hours later, I'm in the middle of something else. And the conversation just goes on, doesn't it? It's just like she walks by, I was thinking we should maybe go camping. That statement in and of itself is meaningless, except for the fact that we've been in this ongoing conversation that has never stopped since the day we got married. You know this, don't you? Anybody you're sort of like in an ongoing relationship with, if you have a roommate, you share a house with somebody... This sort of just happens, right? It's functional, relational time, and the conversation is just ongoing. It started when we moved in, and it still hasn't stopped, right? I mean, this happens every, every Sunday night. I'm a good son. I call my family, my parents. This is my own self-assessment. I'm a good son. I call my, my parents every weekend uh, on Sunday night, and often when I'm having the conversation, I'm on the phone with my mom my dad just sort of like does this sort of, it's on speakerphone, he's in the back, and he'll like chime in. But my mom is mostly the, the active driver of the conversation. But a lot of times Jerry's sitting on the couch next to me. And she can hear everything that's going on on the phone, right? And my mom is like, well, you know, your grandma, she's doing, some, doing really well. She's had a few really good days. Ever since she got that care, they're, they're doing really well. And while that's happening in the one ear, Jerry is like, ask about the thing. Have You guys have this? You ever had this happen? And so on the one hand, I'm listening, and I'm hearing my mother say, my grandma is doing this thing. And at the exact same time, Jerry's going, ask about her this levels. Ask about her that. Ask if they're... And so, like, I'm having this conversation, and Jerry's already having the conversation on the other end. Do you guys know this experience? This is what my life with Jesus is like. I'm about to go to lunch, and I'm on my way. And Jesus is like, oh, hey, by the way, you remember you said you were going to talk to this. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, hey, by the way, did you know that we, we were going to share our resources with these people? Oh, yeah. Hey, do you remember you intended to be really generous about this thing? Hmm, forgot about that one. This is my conversation with Jesus. It's the same way as it works with my wife. Frequently, when I'm trying to consider a decision, God is already talking to me about it. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of something and God will just make a suggestion. Like I'm on my way to this building from my house. And God's like, hey, why don't you turn left there? Oh, all right. Turn left there. And then sometimes you see stuff, sometimes you don't. And it's sort of like, well, maybe that was just me, that was weird. But 
But God is sort of talking on the way. Learning to have a conversational relationship with God is something that generally takes time, practice, and a good understanding of God's character. How many of you know what AM radio is? Like six of you. Cool. All of you are my age or older. That's great. AM radio is this thing that they used to have in... Oh, gosh, this is going to get really bad, isn't it? Used to have in my car... You guys had this in your car, right? It was AM radio, had two knobs, and the one knob was the volume, and the other knob was like moving this little stick, right, all along the band. And most of the time, on an AM radio, it sounds like this, right? That's what it sounds like. That's like an exact representation. And you can't hear or make sense of anything that you're hearing. And then as you get close to a frequency... It starts to come in, but it's real faint. It sounds like it's in a tin can. It's like, oh, I don't really, I can't really hear that. I can sort of hear what they're saying. It feels like, so you dial it in a little bit closer, and then it comes in. You're like, I'm listening to it. The reason I know a lot about AM radio is because we were, this is what airline pilots listen to. You can listen to airline uh, AM radio in the air. Anyway, the beauty of AM radio is it's a good illustration for how it is to learn to hear God's voice. Initially, you're like, is that God or is that just me? Or is that my next-door neighbor's good ideas? And you don't really find out until you try it out, and they're like, oh, yeah, that was God. And over a period of time, you're sort of honing in. You're getting a little bit closer. And the longer you practice and the longer you have a sense of God's character and you hear and you hear, and God has this certain quality about the things that he says. And you get really good at hearing God's voice. The longer you do this, the more clear you hear. The better you can dial in the AM radio. It's practice. It takes time of being intentional to say, God, what are you saying now? Sometimes it's... Sometimes it's, go have lunch with that guy. And you go, man, that was really clear. And I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a, that's a great deal. It's a lot like that. It's practice. And like any relationship, over a period of time, you begin to, to tell the quality of God's voice. You know, when Jerry and I first started talking to each other years ago, she would call and I would say, hello. And she would say, hi. And I'd say, who is this? She would say, it's Jerry. Okay. Over a period of time, she calls and she just starts talking. And I just know her voice. It's the same with God. Over a period of time, you start to hear his voice over and over and over and over. And you start to go, that sounds like God. The more you practice, the clearer it gets. Now let me throw one caveat at you before I move on to the next part. There's a guardrail I want you to be aware of. There are a lot of voices that you can hear when you're trying to hear God's voice. And not all of them are God. The way you determine the difference is that you know God's character in Scripture. So if you have a voice that says something to you that's contrary to what God has already revealed in Scripture, you know that voice is not from God. It's really, really important because I have been trying to teach people to hear God's voice for years. And I've had people be like, well, God said it was okay for me to start sleeping with my boyfriend. It's like, that's contrary to what God has said Whatever you heard there, that's not the Lord. Anything that you hear has to be consistent with what Scripture says. So that's the first part, okay? That's part one. 
What is God saying right now? And that informs the rest of it. Part two, what has God already said? What has God said previously? You know, sometimes God speaks something to you about how to manage your time. And the way he speaks it is sort of like a this is a once for all kind of thing. You know, like at a level of like identity and purpose and function at a real basic level. Think about it like this. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus says, you are now a son or a daughter of God. That never changes. And so you can know as you go forward with managing time, anything that requires you to act as if you are not a son or a daughter of God is not God's intent for how to manage time. There are certain things that just get spoken and they're clear for all time and they never change. And so when you're trying to decide how it is that you're going to manage time, some of these things have been spoken forever. When I got married, God blessed me with this wonderful woman named Jerry. And when I got married, one of the callings that was now on my life was to be a husband to Jerry. And that was an unchanging thing that God spoke over my life. If you're married, maybe you don't know this. That's an identity that God has given you. Now, you now function in that way. So I was a, a husband to Jerry, which means that anytime I'm trying to discern what I'm going to do with my time, if it requires me to live as if I'm not a husband to Jerry, it's not how God intends me to use the time he's given me. Does this make sense? There are some things that God just speaks to you and they don't change. It's the same if you have kids. Do you know that if God gives you children, you are a parent to those children and that doesn't change. So if there's anything about managing your time that requires you to act as though you are not a parent to those children, it's not God's intent for how you use your time. We redeem the time by living into the things that God has spoken over us. The same is true about like being a person of integrity, right? You give your life to Jesus and Jesus is like you are now a person of integrity. You don't have to wait for God to speak again. Hey God, I'm really trying to deal with this thing. I'm not sure what to do. They kind of want me to lie. I really kind of want you just to let me do that because everybody will like me. We don't wait for an end time word on integrity because God has already spoken. You are a person of integrity. Does that make sense? There are certain things about your life that God has already spoken about. And when God speaks something like that significant to you, character traits, identities, roles, things like that, redeeming time looks like orienting your entire life around those things. They begin to take space in a calendar. One of the things that God repeatedly presses into me is this identity as I am the beloved of God. I think I've told you guys this before. This is the identity that doesn't ever change. That I was bought at a a price. That Jesus laid down his life so that God could love me. I'm the beloved of God. It doesn't change. So I order a lot of my time around that reality, which really brings me to the third part. There are certain principles that just God has spoken to you that you organize your life around. So the third one is calendarize your guiding principles. Some of you are like, well, this just got unspiritual as heck. Calendar? You want to talk to me about a I came here to church. It's supposed to be spiritual. You're talking about calendars. Listen. 
some of the most spiritual things you can do is create a budget and a calendar. Because anything you want to say that you are, if you hand me your budget and you hand me your calendar, I can tell you whether or not you're those things. You say, well, I really want to be a, I want to be a, like a great parent. And then you hand me your calendar and there's no time with your kids. In your calendar and whatever else you call yourself, you're not a great parent. Does that make sense? Say, well, I'm the beloved of God. And then you look at your calendar and there's no time with God. I don't know how you think you're the beloved of God when you spend no time with God. These things will sort of bring the truth to the surface, don't they? Your budget does the same thing, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a devoted follower of Jesus and my money goes to gambling debts and bar tabs. I mean, typically the things that you love, you put money and time to. So if we're going to manage God's time well, we calendarize the things that God has spoken. Because your calendar will prove to you who it is that you actually are. Where your time goes. I want to be a really good spouse. I want to be a great husband to Jerry, but my time looks like I spend 90 hours at work. Whatever else I'm telling myself, I'm not being a great husband. Do you see that? This will tell you exactly who you are. I said a minute ago that one of the things that God has spoken to me that I'm living into is that I am the beloved of God. It's a guiding principle for my life. So when I pull out my calendar and show you my calendar every morning from 7.30 to 8.30, there's a solitude space to spend with God. Every Friday at 3 o'clock till Saturday at 3 o'clock, there's a Sabbath space for me and my family to spend with God. I've begun to live into this practice of every six months taking three days and being silent with God because I'm the beloved of God. And the way I believe God intends for me to manage the time that he gives me is to be in a space where God can love me. Is that true of you? The things that God has spoken over your life that you intend to be, does your calendar reflect those things? Or are you just tricking yourself? I really want to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Well, how much time do you spend growing in the practices that Jesus invites you into? Got real quiet. It's serious though, isn't it? Because we can lie to ourselves all the time. And I'm not saying you have to do what I do. What I am seeing, saying is, whatever God speaks over your life as an identity will shape how you do your time or should shape how you do your time. And so the way that I think about what do I do with the time God gives me, it's always shaped by what is God saying right now, what has God already said, and if God has already said, then it should be in my calendar. What does my calendar say? It's super practical, it's super simple, and yet it's not easy. You know, maybe God has spoken to you and says you're supposed to redeem time by pouring into the lives of children. That God has invited you to redeem time by pouring into the lives of children. Does your calendar reflect that? Maybe you're supposed to redeem time by caring for the poor and the homeless. Does your calendar reflect that reality? Because here's what I want you to know. 
God has called us in this church to be people who transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. And the way that happens is that you manage well every moment of time God gives you. There's not some mystical thing. It's that you show up to work and where honesty is called for, you just live as honesty. Where faithfulness is called for, you just live as someone who's faithful. When someone says, I'm not really sure about my purpose in life, you say, well, let me tell you who has given me purpose in life. Jesus has spoken purpose to my life. When you find someone who's like, I am sick, you say, well, Jesus heals sometimes. So can I pray for that? Most of how we transform this world is about managing the minutes and the moments that God gives us toward God's intent. And here's what I believe to be true. A room this size, I think, can change a city. I have no doubt a room this size can change a city because there were 12 disciples and they changed the known world. A room this size, if we are people who manage well the moments that God gives us, I have no doubt that it'll transform the landscape of this city. Far more than any county commissioner election ever could. Or school board election whatever else people are running for right now. This is what we're called to do. Will you do it? Will you join me in managing God's time the way he intends, in redeeming the time? Because I think this is the invitation to all of us. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.